We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA Podcast, and we are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Monday, November 18th, which means, Britt, you and I are recording this a handful of hours before the Wolves tip off in Utah, so whatever is to happen there happens there, but they enter that game as nine and a half point underdogs, I just looked up, which would suggest that this... I don't know what the term is, if you want to call it a funk or lull or whatever is happening right now where they've lost the last two games. Um, that point spread would suggest it's going to continue with a, right. with a third loss. And as you just put in your column today, I guess last night, was you called the Washington and Houston back-to-back on Friday and Saturday, a lost weekend. So what are you just feeling that – what is it that the Wolves are in the midst of right now? A return to reality. I think that I've never been optimistic about this team being a 40-plus win team. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought they had a fairly favorable schedule. Uh, They did win some games I did not expect, and so I was heartened. I I think when they were 7-4 and after a very, very thorough trouncing of the Spurs, that was a case where a, a team that, is on the playoff cusp, but, but I think more people had the Spurs in the playoffs than out of yeah. the playoffs at the beginning of this year. For sure. And the Timberwolves are clearly the better team. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was their best win of the season. I thought it was another ratification of Wiggins. Uh, everybody had gone crazy over him like two games before, and then he won in Detroit very convincingly, and he led the team in, against San Antonio. And so then you have a scenario where – 
they're seven and four and they're playing a Wizards team uh, who they had thrashed on the road and they have Without Car- cap. and they had Carl Anthony yeah. Towns and then we find out Wiggins isn't playing and then that team I I got the feeling that um, and I do think overconfidence can happen to teams that are have no business being overconfident because they're feeling good about themselves. I mean, not all of it is a negative. Some of it is, hey, you know, we're playing really well. We'll we'll take care of this team too. And, and there's a little bit of an edge that gets lost, and I really thought that happened. I thought it was an energy loss, and most of the people who talked about it agreed with that. Um, I was a little disappointed in the way perhaps only Towns was the only person that really owned up to. They didn't play defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really... Ryan was being very careful, um, and after having him say he was really proud of this team for this or that or whatever, it would have been nice to have him say, you know, rather than this is not who we are, well, it was who they were that night, and it is more like who they are if you look at this team from, you know, a a distance and say, what are their prospects for this year? Um, And then the Houston game, I think... I'm of the opinion, I'm actually more forgiving of the Houston game than I am of the Wizards game simply because they were planning on using Okogie in a way on Harden that might have been significant. Um, they had the pregame with Ryan Saunders. You and I were both there for it. And I asked, I said, Okogie's gotten a lot of press in the past for the way he guarded Saunders. Um, guarded Harden. Oh, no, sorry. He guards Saunders pretty well, too, I bet. But uh, so, but you have Graham starting. Is he going to be the you know, guy on the most? And he kind of hedged a little bit. And then afterwards, he kind of chided me because sometimes I'll ask him questions about the starting lineup. And we have this little thing going where he doesn't want to talk about, you know, immediately who's going in. He doesn't want to give the opponents that hour yeah. advance. Tibbs was famous for that. He He hated that, too. But, and he, he, but Ryan being the decent guy he is uh, kind of said to me very quickly, but Okogie's, we, Okogie will play him a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, Which carried the implication of. It was going to be a, 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 a wrinkle of some kind. Mm-hmm. You know, Okogie was going to be central to guarding Harden. And Okogie went down between the time that Ryan talked to us at 515 and the seven. 10 tip. So, you know, sore left knee, he's doubtful or questionable or something for tonight's game. Uh, so it's not, you know, something minor necessarily. And, um, and that hurt that team, uh, hurt the Wolves. Uh, Covington volunteered after Graham predictably got in foul trouble. You can't have a guy who is as physical as Graham is guarding a guy like Harden without getting in foul trouble. Especially if, you know, I mean, Graham is best suited for um, medium-sized threes and small fours. Sure. And and Harden, while he is built like a medium-sized three, plays like a two. So I expected foul trouble, and then Covington took over. Anyway, Which was an well, interesting wrinkle. It was a great wrinkle. And I think it was probably kind of what they had in mind for uh, Okogi in terms of what would happen in terms of the switching because it was a lot of switching. Um, and I think Covington reveled in it. I mean, it was... You could see it. it you was could just so, see him was, out there just locked in. It was... His it, hands. I yeah. mean, he had, all of a sudden, you know, I mean, so much of power forward defense 
is feet and trunk. Mm-hmm. And Covington's got – he brags about it. He's got the best hands in the NBA. I mean, you know, he – And about first, the They're really strong the and they're too. really quick and, you know, and and so he just loved the idea. And he wasn't backing down at all in the postgame. He was almost ebullient with the idea that, hey, 44 but, points but 41 shots, you know. But I, I did ask him, you know, if it will be something that will continue and there was no – No, I, I don't not, think he – acknowledge that this will be something that continues. Even if it did, I don't think they'd say so, and I don't think they want to. Um, He's a pretty straight shooter, though. Like You had a really good piece today, speaking of recently published stories, about the defense and about some of the tweaks that have finally started to happen a little bit. But we have talked about, uh, you know, since the first time we came on for this, this 1920 season, we talked about would they go system or would they go personnel. And I've always been of the belief, ever since I heard Rosas on Media Day say, this is the way we play and ta-da, ta-da. And he, he's he got time to burn. This is step one. You know, it was um, it was interesting, and this is con- my continual uh, prodding of you to listen to podcasts. <laughs> but I know this is because it's John Hollinger, who you respect. I love John Hollinger. So so Hollinger um, was on, on his show with Nate Duncan, was going through their ranking organizations. And, and I like league. Nate Duncan. I like him uh, I like him better with Hollinger probably. Yes. Uh, I don't, I've never heard I, yeah, either one of them. But it's, it's, I mean, it's very interesting to hear a person who's been uh, – his writing is excellent. So mm-hmm. to, right. to right. get that perspective from somebody who's been in an organization right. for seven years, and I think it's just – commendable now that he's back on the media side that he doesn't really hold back. Doesn't pull punches. Doesn't and neither pull punches. does Partno, Seth Partno. Yes. Yeah, there are two guys, both at the athletic. I might as well uh, – I don't do this because <laughs> it just rubs me the wrong way to uh, pimp the group I'm writing for. It's good, though. Uh, but I would say, regardless of the site, anybody that has Seth Partno and John Hollinger writing for it is is a worthwhile site. I'm proud to have them as colleagues. Absolutely. So – so this is this is what he said. They're doing uh, organizational rankings of the thirty you know, teams in the league, and the Wolves fell in the second to last mm-hmm. bin in Hollinger's ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was based on you know the years past. of ineptitude. Yeah, and you know he mentioned ownerships lack right. Right. lacking track record. But he said this, and it, I I was listening to the podcast right after I read your piece on system versus personnel, mm. and and this is what John Hollinger said. We'll see if things can change there. But you worry there is too much short-term thinking, too much thinking about the short-term business side, especially to how can I put this gently, embrace some of the tactics beneficial to their long-term future, which is, which is, is an outdated criticism, which is an outdated criticism because as you point out, and as I acknowledge, there's a new guy in charge, there's a new guy in charge and he mentions that, but he's, you know, it's questioning if can Rosa's push through what is a well-established 30-year track record of being behind the times. And I think your piece, juxtaposed with that, highlights that they are doing exactly the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. They, Their style of play, the roster they've put together, very much accentuates long-term progress and maybe a willingness to sacrifice wins along the way. Without a doubt. I don't think it's maybe about any maybe about it. I think they can put some lineups on the floor that um, 
are specific to offense. Some are specific to defense. I think they want Covington at the four because that's the way they want to play. Nobody who watches Robert Covington play feels like he's better as a defender of power forwards, as a stretch four, than he is as a defender on the wing. Um, so, you know, there was that game where uh, they're doing load management. You know, another uh, <laughs> modern-day thing, another thing the Wolves have awakened to. Uh, and Cov had played the night before, and then they go to Detroit, and rather than put him on Blake Griffin, they put, you know, the junkyard dog, Tra Travion Griffin, uh, uh, Graham on him. And I, you, you kind of got a whiff of, hey, you know, maybe in in many certain circumstances especially if the the better player the more potent offensive guy is a 3 maybe you could flip Graham and Cove and just keep the same assignments but get your best guy get your wing stopper a natural wing stopper on a guy who can shoot but no the reason they're not doing that is because they want to build a culture and a system and they believe, as of now anyway, that Covington is their stretch four. So why win a couple of games by having Covington not continue to learn the position he is designed to play next to Cat beside for for? I don't even think it's about years. him. I think it's about everyone else learning the system. I think they believe that Covington is fine. He could do either. He's a vet. But I, you're right. I think that Towns needs to feel Covington at the four. I also think that... The, the system in general, though, Covington still does need – the moment you start to uh, break discipline – I mean, that's the thing. Covington was reveling in it because Covington has kept himself under wraps for the sake of the system. He is a four, and that necessarily is restrictive. In the same scenario, only on the other side of the ball, Carl Anthony Towns has 15 shots while James Harden has 41 there was every bit as much reason for Towns to take 41 shots in that game as there was for Harden. Um, it was was made abundantly obvious when Towns kept giving up the ball and guys like Keelani Martin and uh, Trevion Graham were, were chucking things and uh, not hitting anything. A combined seven for 51 from three on the air. And, and Towns had zero assists against Houston. And everybody saw – anybody who saw that game saw Towns continually pass – it wasn't always a double team, but it was always "quote unquote" the right play, and that those guys were wide open. I, I want to dig more into the Covington part and the sure. system in general. But first, I think it's fair to point out that their their preset goals were to play fast mm -hmm. and to shoot a bunch of threes. Yep, space and pace, and that is absolutely absolutely happening. Um, they're second, as I'm looking it up right now, second in pace in the league. And they're bombing threes. I don't have that up there, but I was right, they're like right. top yeah. five or yeah, something. They're chucking. So that is happening, and it has led to success offensively to a degree. Mm -hmm. and, Better and, than anybody had a right to expect. And certainly if it doesn't show up in their offensive efficiency right now, it's clearly unleashed Andrew Wiggins. Mm -hmm. That is – right. I mean, Andrew deserves individual credit for the strides he's made, but this system – fits him perfect and his abide his willingness to abide to the shot selection fits him so there are 
there are things that make sense about doing about doing this lineup structure. Even now, right? Even now, and that's on the offensive side of the ball, and on the defensive side of the ball. Ryan, as I've asked numerous times this year about the temptation to play Covington against a Kyrie Irving, a D'Angelo right. Russell, a Bradley Beal, Harden, any of those guys, what he has continually brought up, and this is also fair to an extent, is the rebounding. If you take Covington out of the post or the four position, you lack you lack another rebounder, the second best rebounder on the team if he's out there on Harden who's bombing from 30 feet. Uh-huh. And what we saw in the Houston game specifically is Isaiah Hartenstein was a menace on the offensive boards. Yes. Harden Harden was forcing or Covington was forcing Harden into difficult shots, but they were getting offensive rebounds off of those. So that is all there. But it's very difficult for me as someone who whether it's being caught up in the moment or just uh being a person who believes in the now more than the later. Uh-huh. Just the way I see it it's frustrating to see some of these things i think your perspective is that of, is shared by the vast majority of fans i mean my twitter feed and my comment section after my columns usually uh they bemoan the lack of three-point shooting and and they they feel it's somewhat silly sometimes there are people who, who get the mm-hmm. big picture and want the big picture simply because um they understand that short-term thinking with this organization you know, they just got through with a guy who, yeah. you know, basically sold out everything for sure. a, a number eight seed, uh, and then we're immediately, you know, seeing the team regress again. I just think it's not; it doesn't have to be black and white, and it, and it hasn't been, and it hasn't been because, as you said, Covington guarded hard in this game. Right? They have gone to two big lineups occasionally. Yes. My your pet, my pet, <laughs> but my my pets plural is defense. Uh-huh. To, to be to be willing to adjust defensively, embrace that system offensively. Because I get that that is what is going to unleash your two best players offensively, Cat and Wiggins, is by playing five out and by playing fast and by shooting threes. I get that. Can you have adjustments on the other side of the ball to make it so you're a better defensive team? Because that that is critically important to Carl Anthony Towns' future too. He's always been on terrible defensive teams. I think that. One of the arguments they're probably making here is that this will make Towns a better defensive player. Now, Towns certainly doesn't think so. As we all know, he loves the idea that he can get out there and, and harass guards and uh, lock them up. Um, you know what I will say? Because I make fun of that too. Uh-huh. I went back and watched a whole he, bunch he's of very shots. Good. He's done – he's been way better at that on switches this year, whether they're, they're, whether they're pre-planned switches or just scram switches. Right. There was um he had a great steal the other night on, on a pick and roll. I think it was a pocket pass. Okay. Uh he jammed somebody. Or maybe it was Washington. It was I, one of the last two games. I think he started the season out really well in that drop system. Yeah. It's gotten worse. I think as the they've team made has gotten worse. But I'm I'm saying what he's better at now is the discipline on those switches. Yes. The the can just watching the Kyrie Irving, D'Angelo Russell, those guys. Isolations on him. Cat held his own, and in, not in only that, spots. he never fouls. Practically, he doesn't follow those guys who beg for fouls. Well, he, he keeps he keeps his foot distance and uses the arm distance, right? Right. Like but in, but also, he's going up straight far more often. Sure. He somebody has gotten technique into his head, mm-hmm. and he's listening to it. Um, 
he just he he also just isn't like his skill set. He has an elite offensive skill set. Uh-huh. Even even when if he's ever optimized defensively, I don't think he can ever be given that he's not that big. He's not a great that strong. defender. He can, yeah, never, be he, he can never be a great defender. But he can be a good defender. Yes. And he's not there yet. No. But there there are micro instances of how that's improved, I think, this year. And then I think it becomes about the surrounding pieces around him of how do you maximize that, whether it be playing with two bigs or using Covington at the point of attack or not using Covington at the point of attack. What those those questions will all be somewhat answered over the course of this year. Again, my frustration is I don't know how much run we'll get to see from all of that because the prioritization is offensive system over personnel. But I would push back a little bit in saying that I think they don't want to do too many defensive tweaks simply because defense defense is necessarily reactive. Even an aggressive defense is necessarily reactive. And so um, offense, you can kind of plan what you're wanting to do and you can – you can fool defenses. Yeah. Defensively, um, you're better off if you know what your teammates are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something I think the last really great defensive team that the Wolves had, I mean, Adelman had some decent teams. I will give him credit. Rick Adelman did not have great defensive talent. He had Karolinko. Mm-hmm. But a lot of guys. I mean, had Luke Rittenauer at the two guard, Kevin Love at the four. Rubio's a good defender, but yeah, other yeah. than that, it was really yeah. I mean, Peck and 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 Love were both not actually given their mm-hmm. size and their mobility. Peck was a surprisingly uh, limited defender. Talk about tree trunk. Yeah, <laughs> man. But so, but the point is, is that defense. The cliche is that people are on a string. It just means that everybody knows what they're doing and reacts properly and you get stuff done. If you flip Covington to the best matchup for him every game, you're not going to have that same, you know, chain dynamic as easily, I think. And I also just think that um, – if you just look at what's happened, I, I will tell you one of the reasons I think they've gotten significantly worse is because there have been disruptions. You know, you didn't have Cat yeah. for two games. You didn't have the point guards for four games. You, then you didn't have Wiggins. I mean, the last time they had their entire totally team um, was a long time ago. Milwaukee, you know, was their last time. And so I think especially when you're not only overhauling a system but you're overhauling a culture – Disruption is your enemy, and so you okay. want to be as you want to be the least disruptive you can possibly be with what you have. And if you don't have the personnel, then at least you want to stay the same with the style. But they're act defensively; they're actively shifting the way they're defending. They, they, I mean. But I assume that's part of the plan. In other words, I assume yeah. that um, maybe we're seeing Plan C, but Plan C doesn't happen without A and B. Mm-hmm. In other words. I, I think they're building and they are tweaking, but the foundation remains the same. It isn't like even with Okogie, I get the impression that they had something cooked up for hard and that involved Okogie. Yeah. 
but it was going to be relatively within the context of the system. Even Graham on Griffin, which I thought was an extraordinary change, um, mm -hmm. was clearly done, part of it, I believe, load management for Cove, but also I think that these guys are looking long-term and I do think that they are trying to get everybody not only on the same page, but having the page pretty much memorized by, you know, March. Right. No, I, I, I don't think you were at the practice. It was a couple Saturdays ago where Ryan just kind of came out and said, we're going to start making defensive Yeah, I heard about that. And, and a couple of writers have, you know, pricked up their ears about that. You actually, sounds like you asked at least two follow-up questions about that, given your column. Yeah, well, so so... First follow-up was, is that a product of what? Because this was early. This was uh -huh. this was the morning after D'Angelo Russell had fifty-two points. Okay, so That's I right. so right. I, so I asked, you know, is that the drop scheme? Guys well, I said, is, that, is it a reaction? Yeah, yeah, is it a right. reaction to what D'Angelo Russell did, or is this like a preconceived plan? Right. And he said both. Mm -hmm. As a quote, mm -hmm. and the way which makes sense. The first part of that makes sense. You're getting busted by guys in that scheme who can break that scheme. The second part I thought was interesting because he he compared it to the adding on defensively. He compared it to what they did with Wiggins, mm -hmm. which was, as we know, again, like the first five games of the year, it was just, hey, just don't shoot mid-range shots. Go head down to the basket, downhill. Cat, just, they just, there was, he wasn't passing at all, right? And then all of a sudden. Kickouts. Kickouts, and he goes. So I, uh, he they added on to it. You start with this, and then you kind of widen the highway, I guess, if you will. And so that's what Ryan wants to do defensively. But then, as a product of having those disruptions you mentioned, all the injuries, I think having Napier out is important. There, very important. Uh, obviously, Josh, Andrew, that that's an issue. But also just. The personnel is, even if everyone was healthy, I think adding on defensively to this team would have its bumps in the roads, no matter bumps in the road, no matter what, because Agreed. they have solid defenders, not necessarily special defenders outside of Covington and maybe a Kogi too. And then I also just believe that being a great defensive team requires continuity and time together. Exactly. And as we know, more than half this roster has turned over. So right. even if... And it's a totally different system. I mean, yeah. one of the things, we, in the preseason, we looked at this, and even uh, first, some of the regular season games went, well, I don't know how much different this is than Tibbs. Mm -hmm. Well, now we, you know, we certainly know. I mean, for one thing, they guard the corners, which is another thing you pointed out in your column. Um, and it's not just that Taj Gibson was relatively slow for a power forward or, or certainly not corner defense oriented that he was older than his experience level was uh, not a corner three defender guy. Um, and now you have people, you know, Covington and Graham, both are guys who chase and, and the perimeter guys know how to rotate. They don't mm -hmm. rotate to the, the corners of the lane. They rotate out to the arc. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's where the shooters are. Wasn't that stat crazy about the amount of wide open shots they've given? Yeah. So so last year it was, if you didn't read the column, it was they they gave up the fourth NBA.com splits it up of 
open to wide open shots. So right. six, yeah, six, six plus to feet, six to eight, right? Yeah, six plus feet of no defender around. Right. The Wolves were had the gave up the third most shots of that variety after Ryan took over last year. Now this year they are, they give up the fewest amount of those by like a wide margin. So again, any sort of pickings that me or anyone is doing about the defense needs to come with the acknowledgement that the thing that they were worst at last year, they've rectified. And by the way, aside from wide open layups, which are still an issue for this team, <laughs> sure. the, the, the most value added shot is the corner three. Mm-hmm. And so that is what they're taking away, except, you know, some people hit those. Um, I, I think the, the initial thing, let's face it, Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell which I wouldn't have necessarily said until I watched him play, you know, this year and follow up on what he did last year. But those are two of the best floater guys going right now. I mean, if you're talking yes. about a uh, a drop back scheme, th- those are the two guys best designed to kill it. Yeah, but I think the league has more of those than they, they, you, deceptively so. I agree. If, if the Wolves ran defensively, played exactly the same way that they were playing at the beginning of the year as, and would have brought that over to the Washington and Houston games. James Harden and Bradley Beal would have taken advantage of And Derrick of Rose would have too. And Derrick Rose would have too. And coming up this week, they play Donovan Mitchell twice. Mm-hmm. They play uh, Devin Booker mm-hmm. and they play Trey Young. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're, statistically speaking, Kyrie Irving made 50% of his shots from eight to 16 feet last year. And D'Angelo also made 49%. That's really good. Tops of the league. But these other players too, there, there is a lot of lead guards in the league who have no problem, and it's not a bad look for them to come in and step into a uncontested 16-foot shot. Right. And that... Or an 8-foot or a 10-foot. I mean, because if right. if Cat is... Like three feet away, yeah. I mean, there were... And that was what was unfortunate about Covington. It was an interesting aspect. Um, the second half... Clearly, Houston went into the locker room and said, the way they're defending now, Covington is out there with Harden. Put the ball on the deck and go. Mm-hmm. And they had, I mean, if you remember the third quarter, was it was a layup line. And so, of course, when I asked Covington, who is, I mean, part of it is arrogance, but part of it is he's just an honest dude. I said, you know, well, you're out there. You did a great job on Covington on the perimeter, but that's one of the reasons they had a layup line. And first he said, yes, he said, yes and no. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I remember that. He said other guys, right. you know, did a good job. But what he really meant was yes. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's true. I can't be everywhere. Uh, how Okay. Specifically to him, how maddening for him do you think it is to need to play, just in his own head, to play this Power forward role. He is an amazingly pacific guy, isn't he? Isn't he one of these guys that just doesn't seem? That's what made his uh, mental health issues of mm-hmm. being hurt and saying he was, you know, really in a bad place last year, and why you didn't see him around, you know, the team yeah. or anything. You, I began to worry he had Dario Sarge disease and just couldn't <laughs> stand the the town or the place. Uh, and Ryan, you know, I'll give all kinds of credit to for uh, getting through to him and. I used to think that maybe he was humoring Cat, but I think he genuinely likes Cat, and I think that he genuinely likes Ryan. I don't think he wants to rock any boats. And so mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, look, he put up with all the bull from uh, the, I'm pro- not, the process. Yeah. I mean, the process, he, he endured multiple years of sub-20 wins, 
And so uh, I think he's ready for whatever. That said, um, he's one of those guys that does not allow himself to think about what he's missing. But once he's given back what he has mm -hmm. missed, he is joyous. And so I think to that extent, well you know, you're, you're, you're right in terms of the fact that we both saw because everybody's been saying, you know, Covington isn't as as uh, dynamic or isn't doesn't have as much of an impact. Yeah, it's because he's playing he power right? forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, but it, he is arguably at least as important to the defense because if you don't have him at power forward, yeah. who does that role? Who is your stretch for? You know, they've tried Lehman and Graham, and uh, they've tried Bell a little bit, and every now and then when they go two bigs. There isn't really a stretch for you, you know what I want to see, and this might, and it could be brief, uh -huh. but a, a test is I want to see how weird it looks to stay in the five out look while playing two of the bigs. Mm -hmm. So literally put Gorgie Jang or Noah Vonley. Well, Vonley is jacking up threes consistently before practice. I mean, mm -hmm. that's one of his things. And not only that, but a lot of corner threes the other day, which as we both know, is not, not his, his thing. Not his thing. Which is crazy. 85% of his career three-pointers are from above the break and yeah. 15 from the corner, which is the opposite of most players who play that position. But to that, to that extent, or whatever, wouldn't it be interesting to see this five-out set where you have Covington slid down to the three, Vonley into the into Covington's stretch four spot, and Cat still up on the top? Now, again, I don't know if that works for a ton or to be your, your mainstay. Right. But by doing that, how much does it cost you offensively to put to let Vonley shoot a couple of above the break threes per game compared to how much it how much advantage it gives you defensively? Because I think there's a lot of defensive advantage to that because you have Covington at the point of attack guarding the the elite perimeter scorer and you have Vonley on the interior to rebound. We know he's a if mm -hmm. it's probably his most redeeming quality is defensive rebounding. Mm -hmm. I think those are the two biggest things that puncture this team are elite perimeter creators and two and teams who play two bigs. But they are not failing that badly. I mean, they're seven and six. I'm not saying with a lot of, no, no, but what I'm saying is I'll return to my, you know, we and this is the uh, the microcosm of our greater discussion, which is you push for personnel, yeah. the best personnel matchups. And what I'm saying is what they want to do is not play two bigs. If they're playing two bigs, they're playing out of their style, you know? And and these Is it people, out of their style, though, if Noah Vonley is fast, which Ryan acknowledges, but and he's shooting above the break threes? I suspect one of the reasons why Noah Vonley doesn't shoot from the corner is because he's very transition conscious. I'm not sure he's fast enough to get back. In transition on from the corner. Now, if you're right, if he's shooting above the break, that's better. That means Cat has to hustle. Uh, they are concerned with transition defense. I think that is a concern. Certainly compared to that's the last two, three on my list. the last two or three years before this year, they've been awful mm -hmm. in transition defense. So that's another advantage of the way they're playing. But now. Vonley is good at it. He's good at it because um, he cares about it. Transition defense. Uh, I think so. I, I think that um, I addressed it a little bit in my last column, and I, I think that that's, that's a roster issue that 
Ryan clearly is uncomfortable with. I think at the beginning of the season, Ryan was ready to throw Gorgie Jang under the bus. And then all of a sudden when they threw Gorgie Jang into the game, he was good. Surprise, surprise, which often happens. <laughs> uh, and, and the guy's making $16 million a year. And at the very least, you want to trade him, you know, if you don't want to keep him, you want to trade him and nobody's going to want to get the guy if he's totally a bench guy and just regarded as a $16 million lodestone. Um, I think giving Noah Vonley a special role in the offense and in the defense rather than having him plug into a system, Gorgie's going to want to know why he doesn't have that role. Well, and if but, he but does But more have that, opens up. If you start, because as the, we, right now there's 16 minutes a game of backup center, right? right. Assuming Cap plays 32. Exactly right. And that's, you know, the, if he's playing 32, that means the Wolves are probably winning comfortably. Yes. So rather than needing to split that up eight and eight or whatever it may be, and not what's what's kind of happening is it ends up being like it's supposedly matchups, but I think Ryan just wants to know who's least and who's most unhappy. I mean, I think Ryan is trying to massage egos there. It but, was matchups against Houston, though. It made sense to not play. Gorgie didn't play at all. That made sense, right? Well, I think it made more sense because he got his clock cleaned. A couple of games. Um, I sure. mean, he got he got just wiped out against Washington. You know, after the first time they played Washington, that being his best game of the year. Exactly. So, I mean, well, part of that is because uh, Washington ran. Yeah. I mean, Wagner and Bertans, which is what they've done with other teams for whatever reason, they just didn't do it. And part of it maybe was the cat didn't play. Mm-hmm. They had to deal with you know Gorgie there. And lo and behold, it's, you know, games, individual games are so much uh, fun because they're so unpredictable. Sure. Washington really wanted to win that game, and the Wolves didn't. Uh, They didn't want to win enough to win that game. I thought Brooks coached that game really well. Yeah. As a Scott Brooks defender who's definitely been teetering lately, I I agree. He did a good job. I I think so. So Washington played a lot of zone the first time they Mm -hmm. played them, right? Yep. And I think the Wolves came in with an offensive plan. To beat the zone. Preparing to beat the zone, which most notably was Keelan Martin was going to be in the rotation. And was told to chuck. Which makes sense against the 2-3 zone, right? Exactly. Um, He's of the lacking wing shooters. Just in practice, he's the best shooter of the group. Yes, theoretically. Theoretically. But again, it was all theoretical before right. that game. Yep. Now we know he can't and, shoot. And and so they yeah they did that and they they you know they they put Gorgie they put Cat at the nail against a two three as you do and you try and find shooters and and Brooks went away from that and he ratcheted up the pace and they I mean they just they they made the Wolves uncomfortable enough to the extent that they that the Wolves reacted by playing with less energy. Right. They were just overall kind of confused, and the word they ended up using after the game was lack of energy because it just did – it felt stagnant. And they had a KG-like star that night. I mean, I really thought that Bradley Beal yeah. – um, I mentioned it in my column again. I didn't notice where, that during the game. Did you pick that up on the rewatching no, it? Or? No, I was, I was really thinking that he just – the Wolves finally went ahead. They went ahead like 19 to 10 early – 
Then Washington came roaring back. Or no, 1910, I guess, was Houston. But they were ahead. Mm -hmm. um, then they fell behind, and then uh, Washington, uh, they were, it was 84, 81. Mm -hmm. uh, and Beale hit a driving layup and got fouled and celebrated. And then before the foul shot, gathered the whole team next to, you know, around the foul line and just reamed them out, said, come on, you guys are not playing. It was very KG-like. KG hmm. used to basically bring all his teammates in and, and just bark at them for a little while. And Beal really wanted to win that game, whether it was uh, because of what had happened the last time they played or because he's just been sick of it or because of the Ryan Saunders connection. They're really close. He didn't want to get schooled twice by him. He had a great game, I thought. He was so much better than Harden, uh, who is casually magnificent, not mm -hmm. to take anything away from him. but um, I think Beal is approaching magnificent, too. Yeah, he's really something. I mean, and particularly with that roster that's around him, because you can It's can't. very KG-like. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I did, I missed I, probably the, the stupid nature of tweeting stuff out during the middle of the game where you look totally. down oh, yeah. and you miss it something like that. It happens to me all the time. In fact, Andy Grisrud from uh, Wolf Among Wolves and other things has learned to narrate for me as I'm looking down. <laughs> it's really, really kind of him. He'll say, okay, you know, I mean, he's basically telling me what play it is as I'm stupidly, you know, in my navel tweeting away. Uh, all right. Um, well, that's a lot on the defense. But, uh, yeah, I think the the next question becomes is there kind of I feel like this week we're approaching some unknown with no assuming there's not going to be any Wiggins mm -hmm. in this Monday game against Utah I would like to think of it as a normal quote-unquote illness that he right. will be back um, on Wednesday but now I think you're kind of moving into that range of time missed where you're like is he out of a rhythm because he was for sure in a rhythm before. Right. Yes, I know. And as Ryan... As was Towns before I, yeah, he got suspended. Exactly. And then he wasn't in a rhythm when he came back. Which is, which I guess is just kind of... Um, th there, there's... It's appropriate paranoia is what I would call yeah, it. Yeah, sure. As, yeah, that it, it's, it's going to be easy for them to drop a few games. Or it would be... Very easy. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, to see that. And... Phoenix is... Yeah. Phoenix is Your team. fun, man. It is a really fun team. So it goes Utah, Utah, Phoenix, Atlanta. Okay. Phoenix is at home, and Atlanta is then on the road on Monday. And Atlanta doesn't have Collins, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. They have been playing well. They've been playing competitively, but they miss Collins. Uh, their rookies are... They're yeah. better than Culver, but they're not really. I don't even know. know about that. Yeah, I know. They're, they're nothing special. Better than Culver, maybe. The as last NBA game. players right now, because yeah. as it is with Culver, like this right. is. Reddish and uh, the guy from uh, uh, DeAndre Virginia. Hunter. Yeah, Hunter. Two guys who we were speculating as potential wolves right. a few months ago. Um, let's talk about Culver. Okay. It's. Uh, I, I find myself as I just kind of like make notes in my computer of things to write about or talk about that I keep, I keep putting Culver in there and not doing it, <laughs> not, not really digging in. And it's because it's, um, I feel like it's so much of the same every game where it's, there are the same things that are good are good where we're, we're seeing him have some good wiggle off the dribble, being able to create and finish around the rim. 
Um, the defense flashes from time to time, and the shooting is a major issue, particularly at the free throw line. It feels like that's pretty oh. much every game. And um, it's an important thing to, to think about and for the Wolves, but not just for us to think about, for the Wolves to think about because he is a huge part of the future. And is anticipated to be relatively ball dominant. Mm-hmm. If you're ball dominant and you're making one out of every three free throws, which is if he misses his next one, that's exactly his average. He's <laughs> 10 for 29. So it would be 10 for 30, one out of three. So it's he is just a fascinating Culver is a fascinating example of not system over personnel. Right? Yeah. Because well, it would no, I think he is an example of trust in the system because we think this guy you have to think we're development guys, we're scout guys, we know what we're doing. We threw a really good power forward over to Phoenix in order to move up to take this guy, probably wasn't their first choice, but they knew it was a good chance that that would be the choice they get. Um, there was a lot of talk about him. I was a little leery over the idea. I know it's NBA rules and everything, but they really didn't want anybody to watch him play until the preseason, you know, summer league and the other things, mm-hmm. and even in practice. You didn't really get a sense. Um, sure. I think the thing that we should have realized is that he was a slow learner in college. Um, His first season, he didn't blow everybody away. Um, Mm -hmm. He took time. Uh, He was born in Lubbock. He was raised in Lubbock, and he played college in Lubbock, and now he's in Minneapolis. Uh, He is on a much steeper learning curve in the NBA than he was in college. Uh, He does seem to have... A, first of all, he's robotic with the press, which is irksome but understandable. Um, but he has, I believe, an inner confidence in himself. I've seen three dunks out of the guy that were highlight reels. Totally. And I'm going, whoa, you know, where is that guy? And I think that guy is biding his time until he knows enough to to feel like he doesn't – he hasn't missed a monster dunk yet. Let's put it that way. If he's going up for it, he knows he has it. And I, I don't see – he's not a fearless dunker right now. In fact, he's a very safe dunker. But once he has that safety, man, he, he gives it. He gives you the full athleticism that he has. He's slight for the – you know, I'm beginning to think – I'm not sure it's a worry, but he seems to be guarding uh, point guard. He, he guards – uh, smaller guys a lot better than he guards bigger guys. Mm-hmm. And some of that, you know, he is 6'6", six, six, and he is uh, like 180 or 175. 195, so, but that's okay. still very light. Yeah, he projects a lot like Wiggins and Levine did when they were rookies. Um, but Wiggins and Levine didn't necessarily boss point guards around. Levine, Levine can't boss anybody around on defense. But Wiggins was better guarding uh, twos than he was ones, even in the beginning. This guy... Culver is better at guarding ones, I think, at least the ones I've seen. So the um, – and I've talked about this on with with you, with John, with Charlie. Uh, it comes up every time okay. I talk about Culver is, is that Lubbock to Lubbock to Minneapolis thing and just the way I've watched him, you know, interact. And he, as you mentioned, the press, he's – I don't even know if it's robot. It's short. He wants to get out of it. 
Yeah. Basically, fair. what totally he's saying fair. is th- there should be a sign on his chest or his forehead that says, let's get this over with with the least amount of controversy possible. Sure. You know? But I understand that as a 20-year-old. And and I get that. I The thing that I'm adding to my bin of just questions that linger in my head. So, you know, uh, uh, after those dunks, he's kind of stood and stared up into the stands. Yeah, not only that, but gone sideways toward the bench. Do you know he what? He basically is flexing, I think, for his teammates. Isn't no. He? Oh, somebody, is this his dad? His family is right behind the oh. bench. And I noticed that on the last one, his family and friends, he's looking up there. And I don't know, maybe this is just way too... Psychological? Maybe. But it's... It is revealing, though. It's just what's still on, a kid. It's just what's on my mind. When, right. I, when right. I think about him, I see the trappings of an interesting player. Um, I have the concerns about him. But I think... He hasn't grown up yet, literally. I, yeah, and I just think that, which is fine. I just think that stuff is important. And I think it's... I think the players who grow up quickest come into their own the quickest into yes. becoming solid NBA players. Trey Young, you know, comes to mind right. of of that. He looks like a child, but is clearly a man. Right. And even, you know, to maybe a more local extent, Andrew Wiggins, mm-hmm. I think is an adult now. But it took a long time. It did. But, but he, I think. And, that's and, something I've always said with him too, though, is I, I think when he was 21, 22, and I would be flustered by his antics. I thought about myself as 21, 22, mm-hmm. or my little brother or something like that. And I think people develop into mental maturity at different ages. I have a little bit of unsympathy for that position, simply because I think if you or I, we say, and I'm with you all the way. If I was 21, I'm not being 22, sympathetic. I'm no, just no, saying that that's what's happening. Here's what I'm saying. You say... I remember back when I was 21 or 22. Well, let's face it. That's because we had no shot. And, you know, if I had a shot at being a multimillionaire because of my skill at age 21 or 22, I guarantee you that no one would have found out because I would have thrown it away a long time before then. I mean, these guys (laughs) are built to thrive at what they do best. That's why they're in the NBA. So yes, it's a step. And yes, there are within that rarefied realm, some more or less mature, but anybody who is good enough to play NBA basketball and not, you know, cave into the charms and uh, depredations of being the big man on campus wherever they go, They've got it together enough already to yeah. some extent. I mean, certainly compared to somebody like me or you. You know, when we were 21 or 22, I know when I was 21 or 22, first of all, sports was one of the last things on my mind for one of the rare times in my yeah. life, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many other things all of a sudden. So anyway, that was just my little pushback on that. No, I <laughs> I agree with all that. And I think, I just think that's what's happening. I think Jared. that it's it's a really cool insight that you have, and I did not know this at all. I saw him flexing for the bench. I mean, he. Turned, I noticed it on he, the, in the last game. I noticed that the dunk, the Houston game, or yeah. is this week was, it was it a Houston? great dunk. It was, it was a the, great one of the two dunk. games. It was a great dunk, and I it was it happened right in front of us, right? And he went, he t- turned his body as he has on all the dunks. It's yes. funny. In fact, 
all, all have been all on that but basket. one of the dunks have been right down where okay, we are yeah. too. And so uh, I think one was on the road. But I think that uh, he goes sideways with this little step, but his he doesn't actually flex, but his arms go out from his body a little bit. It's it's a it's kind of a cool celebration. I kind of like it's it. a Christian flex, you know. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it's, a, it's the flex of somebody who believes that uh, they should be humble, you know. It's just I have a I have a pin in it, as I do, you know. As big of a pin in that as I do shooting ten of twenty nine from the free throw line or other sorts of things. Right. I mean, but thank God he's shown us those dunks for sure because that hints at a higher ceiling. And I do think if the free throws remain broken, they, that, they can't be this. That's broken. a big deal because this guy projects certainly as somebody so, who will take care of the things that he has control over. And so he was standing at the free throw yeah. line, throwing in the ball. That's something he has control over. He should be able to be a seventy-five percent free throw shooter uh, yeah. next next season at the at the latest. Why do you think he was pulled from the last game? Um, because I again, think to some extent, he does get abused on defense. If he's up against a big, they don't respect him. That's why I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out because it happened. The last free throw he missed in that game, he missed really poorly. It grazed, like, the front side of the And then he had that three. Oh, my God. Yeah. He shot a three-pointer from— uh, I think the three actually came first, and then the missed free throw happened. So, so maybe—so what you're saying, your theory, if I'm reading you right, is that he was in a in a really confused place mentally, and Ryan decided to just rest him. And, it again, right in front of us. Right. He came over. Jarrett sat in the last spot on the bench. Ryan walked all the way down to the end of the bench— and said something to him. See, I didn't see that. You, no, you're probably tweeting. And <laughs> probably that, was. And he wasn't you didn't narrating see, you that You didn't for see me. this? It was literally right there. In front. Okay. And and Ryan. I know Prigioni went over there at one point. But well, it wasn't at that point, I don't think. When when they Jared got taken out of the game, uh-huh. he, 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 he walked, Ryan walked all the way down to the end of the bench, like tapped him on the shoulder, said something to him, and then gave him like a little head rub and walked back, which is... Ryan has done that before too, in informing somebody of some right. sort of change that is going to be happening. I believe what transpired after that is he didn't play anymore the rest of the game. Uh huh. And I didn't. What I was trying to think of in my head was was the reason for that defensive shortcomings, or was it that his shot was clearly clearly off more than it ever had been before in that game? I think that if if your observation about Ryan coming down and saying something has meaning, then I think that uh, your theory is the one I would hold. I would think that he thought Shooting. he's had a rough day. Let's not subject him to any more of this. You know what it was? This is what you were tweeting. It was when, <laughs> because it was the timeout. No, it was the timeout. And, and what you tweeted was, I'm sure everybody on Media Row is tweeting this right now. Prigioni and Vanterpool and Gates, the assistant coaches, were telling telling oh, something to Ryan, okay, yeah. and he's saying, "You're right, you're right, you're right." Right. Again, I don't know what they're saying, but we all saw him mouthing, "You're right, you're right, you're right." You're right. It was like all three coaches, though. If if you were to 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 write your own narrative to that tableau, you would. They would all be saying, "You got to do X, Y, Z now," mm-hmm. you know, and it was almost like. 
why aren't you doing it? All three of them kind of ganging mm-hmm. up on him and him saying, yeah, you're right, I have to do that. And and the the leap I would make, I wouldn't be necessarily confident making the leap. I didn't make it uh, on either Twitter or in my column, but I mentally suspect it might be true as they said, you have to get tougher on this team. You have to go into that huddle and kick ass. I, so he did he do that. Did I don't think that's what it was. I don't think it was. I don't think they would. That would be a childish way to treat him. To say that to him directly, I think. I think. Well, and I think that would be. I think that would be rude and. and maybe, maybe so. I, I don't think that's what happened. But what did? Ha- whatever they said, and I don't know. We probably shouldn't speculate too much on it because that's unfair. But he came over to the huddle and he smacked the clipboard on the ground, laid into the guys, fair and deserved, and then more than I've seen. And then he went down to Culver at the end of the bench. Ah, I see. Okay. And so that's where you're looking down doing your tweet. What about yeah, whatever that yeah, was? Yeah, and okay. so I don't know where we're close, but we're not that close. Right. It is also a whole bunch of uh, fodder for why Tibbs wanted us once wanted to have us move to the other side <laughs> of the arena. <laughs> so we could see him from another angle. <laughs> then we would have been able to see him just, you know, dropping F bombs in front of Becky Taylor, like right straight on. You know, the, uh, and this way we had a bad angle for the abuse of the owner and his wife. We we did have uh, get to see what Ryan's version of the Tibbs fist pound onto the yeah. scorer's table was. Yeah. He's he's doing. He's the a kick. clipboard guy. No, no, he, oh, the kick, he's, yeah. he's a kicking the scorer's yeah, table a kick guy. 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 Yeah. Bottom of the line, it was a very frustrating game for Ryan. Understandably so. It was a, the end of a bad weekend. The Wolves threw it away. I mean, I threw away an opportunity to you know kind of. Con- Continue on the goodwill. I think, as somebody who does not think they're going to win a lot of games, uh, I think— Put a number on that. Put a number on that. Well, I I started the season at 34. you got to go higher I think 7-4 and makes it 35. I don't think they hit 40 still. And so— I said said with Danny last week, before the last weekend, uh I said 500. I uh said 41. Well, that's because you had Wiggins fever. I had Wiggins fever, and I was higher. I was thirty-seven to start the year. You, oh yeah, and I thought it was thirty-eight. You had thirty-eight at one point. You've jumped around. No, no, no. I have thirty-seven. <laughs> I have thirty-seven. I got the receipts. All right. Um, and then yeah, but I probably had. I for sure had Wiggins fever. Okay. I still do. Wiggins. We haven't even. Yeah, talked why would you have Wiggins fever? Right. What? And I. I mean, though. But. I, to to what I was saying, <laughs> I think what they threw away wasn't wins. They threw away good vibe momentum. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking for this year. I don't care if they win 30 games or 45 games. I really don't. I and I'm not even sure 45 gets you to the playoffs. Uh, I, you know, uh, but what I want to see is I want to see them lose to Utah tonight by six. Uh, instead of 30. I get what you're saying, yeah. Uh, and what I saw this weekend was an embarrassment of effort against Washington and then a team get exposed for a lack of depth by a team that was missing its second, third, and fifth best players. While having their own disruptions, as you mentioned. No, but that's what I yeah. mean, though. Get it, they got... The Wolves were already extremely thin going into the season. Well, uh, on some ways, when we when you had Wiggins fever and you were thinking forty two wins, I bet you 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 didn't think that the <laughs> uh, you didn't think that depth was a problem. I mean, 
what they have. I think I their eleventh best that guy that is probably better than most teams' eleventh best guy. Their fourth best no, guy. No, it's not. Who? Uh, what? Jordan Bell? No. I wouldn't say Jordan Bell okay. is necessarily eleventh. My point is, from four to eleven is a bunch. Is very very close. Sure. So, it's the the deeper you go into the roster, the less it looks like their depth is problematical. Where their depth is problematical, um, it used to be three, four, five. Now that Wiggins is ascended, mm-hmm. it's four, five, six, seven. That's where they get hurt. You know, maybe Jake Lehman. Is Jake Lehman their seventh best player or their fourth best player? Really good right, argument yeah, either know. way. Yeah. Same thing Fair. for, you know, a bunch of people there. And so. But I think it's the aggregate of all of it. And once you have it kind of, they need all of it to okay. be competent. Well, that's a really good argument for system then. That's a really good <laughs> that's argument, true. you know, so. That's true. That's why I said it's not black or white. It is not. It's, they're going to be, I, I think you, I've, you've covered this team way longer than I have. I have found this in my only previous experiences are covering Tom Thibodeau teams. Uh-huh. I've found this team to be far more interesting and far more enjoyable than than previous seasons, not just because of media relations and Ryan answers our questions and all that. But I, that's a big part of it. That's a big part of it. But I I think there this is having this type of existential question uh-huh. and be very real makes it an interesting team to cover. Not only that, but the pecking order is a little bit of a floating situation. Cat is clearly number one. Um and you have a lot of youth and a lot of instability, a lot of fluidity. Um, Tibbs was going out of his way to create predictability. Um, and when the predictability didn't go well, he usually denied that it was going badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to make your own guesses. And it's always when you're getting gaslighted by people who know more about the game than you do, it's hard because maybe they do, you know, when they're saying, no, that's not black, that's white, or that's not blue, that's orange. And you go, boy, it looks blue to me, you know. Um, Are you saying us getting gaslighted? Yeah. I'm saying that Tibbs did a lot of gaslighting. Yes. okay, got it, got it. And I think that, uh, and he's certainly not the first coach, Bill Blair on down, uh, there's been coaches that, and you know Sam even Mitchell. Grant, Sam Mitchell, yeah, he gaslighted. He uh, sometimes I wondered whether he was gaslighting himself. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, he was kind of the, the whole idea that you know you you can't set up plays for threes. It was probably the stupidest thing he ever said. Um, but but man, does he look smart on all this Wiggins stuff? Yeah, and good for you for raising that profile for him. Because I actually think Sam got Sam got treated badly. I, I, you know, having said ripped him a little bit just a minute ago, I always had empathy for him. First of all, I covered him as a player, and he was a great guy in the locker room. He was always, a, you know, he was he was a prankster, uh, mostly verbally. He'd love to just, you know, rag I on you. I can see that. Um, and if if he was one of those guys that if he won something in an argument, he would remember it, and and you'd be in the middle of beating him in another argument. And he goes, "Oh, is this like the, uh, you know?" And he'd mention this other time. You know, he didn't always necessarily play fair. But he played locker room fair, you know, which is that, you know, win the argument at all counts, you know. The ground rules can shift if they have to. Uh, but uh, consequently, it was a lot of fun. And he was brutally honest. 
I mean, mm-hmm. if they played badly or if he played brat- badly of these things, um, he just had this way of uh, – anyway, I, I miss him uh, for a, a number of reasons. I think that um, he got a, a bad deal here to some extent, um, but um, – He's doing a great job on NBA TV. He's actually he did uh, the Wiggins interview he's really, after the he's really last improved. Game. Yeah, he's really improved as a, a TV guy. I think he still wants to coach. Um, I don't know how that's going to go. Well, probably nobody's going to hire him if he still believes the way as a head coach. If he believes, those yeah, same that three things. thing. I'm sure he's he's probably gotten past that. But he and I, I'm sure that all these guys have come to embrace analytics a little bit more than they used to. And he would probably be a good lead assistant. Yeah, I think right. he, he was in the past. I think he could be again. All right. Well, did we miss anything? I don't know. I never know. I just come <laughs> in, you know. I, I I just enjoy the conversation, you know, and I feel like that's the best way to deal with it is if I have any idea what I'm going to say before it comes out of my mouth, I don't <laughs> think it's as good as, as it would be otherwise. That is true. Um, that's Britt Robson of The Athletic. You can read his piece on The Athletic, his most recent column, the Wolves' lost weekend reignites the debate over system versus personnel, which is a, a debate literally you and I have been many times. Many times. You are the the guy who enjoins that debate with me more than anybody, which I appreciate because I think it's the central debate of the team. Yeah, uh, I really think it's what this season is all about: is how much do they sacrifice for the greater good of uh, building a sustainable competitor. And something you know we haven't seen since the heyday of KG and Flip. Another thing we haven't seen since the heyday of KG and Flip is fans coming out to Target Center in droves. Uh-huh. And Houston was huge. Houston was huge. But what you happened know, there? Do you know? I don't know. Other than that, though, it's been sparse. And I think that is not nothing necessarily something we care about a ton in the in the question of system versus personnel. But that if you win more more people will come. That is a straight line deal. And if you are pursuing a, a system over personnel that costs you wins, I don't know. I wonder how much that, you know, that that's another little earmark into, into the whole thing. And again, maybe I'm highlighting it because that aligns with my views to some extent that I am, I guess. So what the, the answer that Rosas should give is, you know, do you want Jerry kill or do you want PJ Fleck? (laughs) <laughs> you know, do you want somebody who, um, you know, moves heaven and earth for a few more wins and gets to seven and four and, you know, walks around like he's king of the world? Or do you want somebody who announces he's going to be king of the world, it's going to take some time, falls on his face two straight years, and suddenly everything starts to come into play? Rosas is certainly projecting a guy who knows what he's doing. Absolutely. I agree with that. I mean, he projects Rosas is not the least bit concerned with what's going on right now. That would be my vibe. Yeah. I mean, he's concerned with he's always going to be concerned about the little patches that the team has to make in the in the road. But Ryan is the one, Ryan's the one that's got to deal with unhappy players in that locker room. He's got to be the one that either makes Gorgie Jing or Noah Vonley angry at the end of every game. Uh, he has to worry about Jeff Teague, who isn't a good fit, who's making $19 million, who doesn't have a contract next year. And um, Jeff Teague, on the other hand, needs to learn how to 
shoot the ball as an off-the-ball player. That's what the system dictates, and he'd be good at it. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Point being, system is the way to go if you want to develop a culture where people... The Warriors are going to sell out this year. It may not be anybody in the stands uh, <laughs> because it is what it is, but you buy your tickets because they're going to be a winner. The Bulls sold out for years and yep. years and years after Jordan. If you have the reputation of Spurs, if you have the reputation as a, as a winner, uh, you get people. If you have the reputation as a loser, you're not going to draw anyway. I'm not sure that if the Wolves were 10-3 uh, and three rather than 7-6, and six, there may be another couple thousand in the stands, but would it be worth it? I don't know if it would be worth it. I think there would definitely be another couple thousand in the stands. And I think as a fan... If you are right, which I don't know if it's totally true that Rosas is the least bit concerned about what's going on right now, then as a fan, why aren't, aren't you thinking, then why should I be the least bit concerned about going to Target Center to go to the games? Well, if your idea is I'm here to watch the Timberwolves win, then you should only show up about 15 20% of the time. Um, that's pretty much where you're likely to win, you know. Yeah. If if you're the Wolves are going to be favored by five points or more twenty times this year, I'd say at most. And so, you know, go watch them play Charlotte or Washington. Now, Washington, as it turned out, didn't work out <laughs> any well. So who knows? No, it's it's just it's interesting because I I do think it's something that Ryan does need to deal with more directly. He does because he's a, on the Fox Sports North post game broadcast where he's but he's like interacting Flip with us, all these other are, people. Yeah. They get the memo. Praise the crowd, regardless of what happens. Oh, the crowd really helped us out tonight. Yeah. That's a bunch of crap. The crowd sure. doesn't help out. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I don't know. It, it, these are these are all these are all tentacles that come off of a, the central system versus personnel question that we don't know all the answers to yeah, right it's now. Marketing. <laughs> I'm not a fan of marketing. Speaking of marketing, you can um, uh, subscribe to the Dane Moore MBA podcast <laughs> and do a rating and review on iTunes. Um, <laughs> Enjoy the athletic, friends. Take it from me. That's Brent Robson. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. Uh, until next time, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.